Section 21 of the American Book of the Dog. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Mack, Tucson, Arizona. The American Book of the Dog. G. O. Shields, Editor. Section 21. The Chesapeake Bay Dog. By George W. Kierstead. For the past dozen years, much has been written pro and con in regard to this truly American dog, American at least in name and characteristics, and I am inclined to believe in origin. Strange to say, of all that has been written and said, scarcely any two writers agree as to the general makeup and appearance of the typical Chesapeake. On this account, it is extremely difficult to handle the subject properly, and it is almost dangerous to advance ideas and ask that they be accepted as authority. Having always stood on the results of my own investigations and experiences on this subject, and having met in the press or in the judge's ring representatives from every kennel of Chesapeake's in the United States, only to see them carry off the field of battle, or from the show bench, only such empty honors as were left, after all higher honors were bestowed upon the strain of Chesapeake's which I champion. I fully appreciate the fact that a great deal might be quoted that has already been written by men to whom I give all due respect, but fear it would be of little benefit to the reader, and that it might only confuse the uninitiated. If you will stop for a moment and recall all you have heard and read on the subject of Chesapeake's, I will ask, did not the relator, with two or three exceptions, tell what some friend had seen, heard, or experienced in regard to them? and tell little or nothing of his own observations and experience? I know nothing by experience in regard to Chesapeake Bay dogs' work on the open waters of Chesapeake Bay, and do not intend to discuss the subject from that standpoint. But from the standpoint wherein lies my experience on marshes, lakes, sloughs, and rivers west and north of the Ohio River, I contend that a dog that does good work in this locality can and will do good work on the open waters of the bay, or in any other ducking waters, and I further contend that a dog to do good and satisfactory work in this locality must have marked characteristics such as are, so far as I know, not possessed by any other dog than the Chesapeake. It was owing to this fact that I became interested in the study and breeding of these dogs 15 years ago. During all the subsequent years, I have had the best of opportunities to study their weak and their strong points, as well as their history. In all these years of breeding, I can say I did not breed for profit alone. From the first, I was convinced that I was not laboring in vain, but for a noble purpose. My motto was, breed for the advancement of the Chesapeake Bay duck dog and for the benefit of sportsmen. To this I attribute my success, and success surely has been the result of my efforts. There is not today a Chesapeake Bay dog in the West, of anything more than local note, that does not owe his or her origin to the Sunday Nellie strain, of which I have the honor of being the originator. As duck retrievers, these dogs have no superiors. It is a question yet unsettled by public trial as to whether their equals have been produced. There is no breed of dogs whose history extends back so far as that of the Chesapeake's, of which so little is known by the general public, 
and the origin of which is so closely veiled in mystery. No such breed was known in the United States until near the end of the 18th century. There is no question as to the fact that the breed originated along the Chesapeake Bay and its tributaries, and that it derives its name from this fact. From the best authorities obtainable, we learn that about the year 1807, the ship Canton of Baltimore, Maryland, fell in at sea with an English brig in a sinking condition bound from Newfoundland to England. The crew were taken aboard the Canton, also two puppies, a dog and a bitch. The English crew were landed on their native soil and the two puppies purchased from the captain for a guinea apiece and taken to Baltimore. The dog puppy, a dingy red in color, was called Sailor and was given to a Mr. John Mercer of West River. The bitch was black, was called Canton, and was given to Dr. James Stewart of Sparrow Point. These dogs were compactly built, not so large as the Newfoundland, hair not long, but thick and wavy. They individually attained great reputations as duck retrievers, and it is said of them that they would follow a cripple for miles through ice and a heavy sea, and if successful in a capture, would always bring it back to their owner. The dog, Sailor, became the property of a gentleman of wealth, and was taken to his estate on the east shore of Maryland, where his progeny is still known as the Sailor breed. There is no positive proof that there were ever any dogs produced from the union of these two, Sailor and Canton. Neither is there anything to show there was not a production from them. The natural supposition is that there was, and it is to these two dogs that we feel we can give credit for the now famous breed of Chesapeake Bay Duck Dogs. There is now to be met with a great variety of what are called Chesapeake Bay Duck Dogs, but my opinion is that if the pedigree of some of these were obtainable, you would find that a cross or two has been made on either the setter or spaniel, and it is in this way that I account for the different types to be seen. The reason this crossbreeding has been resorted to is that the Chesapeake Bay Dog, with an authenticated pedigree, is not to be met with every day, and especially since the close of the late Civil War, which made such devastation in the southern states. While there are a number of dogs used for breeding purposes and their produce sold as Chesapeake Bay Dogs, which do not even reproduce themselves, much less transmit the qualities claimed for the Chesapeake Bay Dogs, Yet there are and have been for years dogs used for breeding the progeny of which can be depended upon to reproduce themselves and transmit this with their other good qualities. And this I consider the best evidence obtainable that the Chesapeake Bay duck dog does now exist in purity and that it is as distinct a breed as the setter, pointer, or any other breed, though much fewer in numbers. Many breeds of dogs have a tail of mongrels hanging to them, which is in some cases larger than the breed itself. And unhappily, the Chesapeake Bay dog happens to be one of the cases where the tail is trying hard to wag the dog. For years, this promiscuous breeding, to which we have attributed the different types of dogs to be seen, which are called Chesapeake Bay dogs, was kept up along the shores of the Chesapeake Bay, and to obtain specimens that would conform to the description of Sailor and Canton was well nigh impossible. 
Still, they did and do now exist, and the sportsmen of today can thank O.D. Folks, J.J. Turner, and one or two others in the East, and the writer and one other breeder in the West, for the perpetuation and production of the most perfect specimens that are now obtainable. A correspondent of the American field who signs Banshee gives this as his idea of the correct type of this breed. The genuine and true type of the Chesapeake Bay duckling dog should not be taller than a medium-sized setter, though a great deal heavier in the body, short legs, long neck, rather a pointed nose running back into a broad head, reminding one very much of the other with rather small ears set up high on the head, its face having a very quick, bright, and intelligent expression with short straight hair without a wrinkle in it, from one and one-fourth to one and one-half inches long in its longest places, and very short about the head and legs. Under this short straight hair, by opening it, you will find a kind of fur about a half inch long. End quote. The characteristics of the Chesapeake Bay dog that especially commend him to wild fowl shooters are first his good, hard common sense. There is no retriever so cool-headed and quiet as the Chesapeake, and for this reason he does not use up his strength foolishly, going after he knows not what, and many times nothing. You have all seen hot-headed dogs do this frequently. Your Chesapeake has the strength and power to go where he will, and he has the will to go where your duck falls, be it through ice, mud, rice beds, or what it may, he will get there. When he does get there, if the duck proves to be a cripple, he has the stick to to follow the trail until he picks up Mr. Cripple. He also has a nose that does not require him to go chasing all over the marsh in hope of running onto the duck. He goes directly to it and retrieves it. Many men are of the opinion that the Chesapeake depends largely on sight to secure his game. It is a mistaken idea. His nose is equal to that of either the setter or pointer. Dr. James Norris of Baltimore, Maryland, writing of the intelligence and sagacity of a noted dog of this breed, says, There are many wonderful exploits attributed to this famous animal, which pass the supposed bounds of animal instinct and enter the domain of human reason. And although substantiated by living witnesses, I would hesitate to repeat them, lest they might be pronounced, at least, apocryphal. There is one of his performances not only well authenticated, but so frequently imitated by some of his offspring that I will relate it. When retrieving ducks after a successful shot over decoys, he would not only pass the dead, but those that were severely wounded, and pursue those that were only slightly hurt, and that human reason alone would teach that unless immediately pursued would escape. After securing these, he would collect the remainder, deposit them at his master's feet, and quietly resume his position, his eyes barely above the front of the blind, gazing as eagerly and intently as the sportsman at the approaching game. End quote. The Chesapeake has a coat, the like of which is possessed by no other known breed. It must be seen to be appreciated. In color, it is dead grass or sedge, a reddish-brown or brownish-red, not liver color. In length, the hair is from half an inch to an inch and a half. 
is very dense and wavy, not curly. In the fall of the year, it looks as much like an old, faded-out buffalo robe as anything one can imagine. Like all other haired animals, the Chesapeake dog takes on a fall or winter coat. With this new coat each fall comes what we shall call a filling coat that in great measure protects the skin from coming in contact with the water. They will come out of the water, give one or two shakes, and I will defy any man to find one of them wet down to the skin, or even take them before they shake and you cannot. This filling coat can be detected best by taking a clip of the coat and looking at the butt end of it. There seems to be something about it, say what you can, but you can't describe it, for there is no other dog's coat that looks like it or that acts like it in water. They are intelligent and quick to catch your meaning, and when they do, they never forget. Show them once or twice what you want them to do, and they will never forget it. As companions, they are perfect, for the reason that they are fond of one master and will know no other person. There seems to be no limit to the amount of endurance they possess. For example, I will cite the dog Monday by Sunday out of Nellie. This dog went into the hands of a market shooter on the famous Kankakee Marshes in Indiana at the age of about 15 months. For nine years worked an average of four days out of seven from the time the ducks came in in September until they left when the marshes froze up. His work was done for a man that averaged a thousand ducks every fall. We have an actual record of this dog having retrieved over 11,000 ducks. Yet Monday is no exception to the rule as to the matter of endurance. One of these dogs will last the most ardent duck shooter with ordinary care eight to ten years. The general utility of this dog is a strong point in their favor, especially where a man keeps but one dog. While I claim they are the best duck retrievers on earth, this is not their only virtue. I consider them the best all-around dog a man can keep about his place. I use my Chesapeake's for jumping pheasants and quails, treeing squirrels, running rabbits, and in fact all sorts of upland shooting, and I know others who do likewise. As coon dogs, they have no equals at the shakeout, as they never turn tail. As guardians of property, they are equal to the mastiff and have not the objectionable features of the bulldog. To substantiate these assertions as to the general utility of these dogs, I deem it but just to quote from a few autograph letters I have received from brother sportsmen in regard to them. Muscatine, Iowa, November 9, 1886. Dear Sir, I presume you are always glad to hear of the doings of the Chesapeake, so I write you a word or two about Puppy Jack. He is growing very fast and seems full of life and health, and yet is as dignified and watchful as a mastiff. I took him out hunting with a fine setter bitch a week ago, not expecting to ask him to do any work, but only to get used to the sound of a gun. He watched Nellie bring out one or two ducks, and then we shot three mud hens to try him. Nellie brought two and Jack one. Then we let one of the boys go down to the lake and shoot mud hens at various points out of our sight. Making a circuit, we came to the lake a mile below and shot a mud hen or two to warm him up, and then walked up the bank of the lake, which is full of water lilies, etc., 
Now we couldn't see the mud hens killed by our companions and didn't know where to look for them. And Nellie made no sign to get any of them, but Jack did not miss one, going without a word of command, sometimes fifty yards out into the lake, and in one instance making three trips and bringing a bird each time. This may not be new to you, but I must confess I have never heard of such work in a young dog, and no one here has. He seems to love the water and will, from choice, break the ice along shore to play in the water, his magnificent coat being an absolute protection against cold or wet. My children are perfectly delighted with him. My wife never saw so nice a dog. And I, well, I wouldn't look at a hundred dollars of any man's money in exchange for him. He is watchful, plucky, and strong, embodies all I could ask in a Mastiff or a Newfoundland, and has so many other excellent qualities that if he is a fair sample of the breed, and I presume he is, I wonder that anyone would prefer the breeds of single virtues to this omnibus dog. When I ordered him, I thought I was getting a good retriever, but I find that besides retrieving better than any dog I have ever seen, he also excels in virtues not claimed for him. Fergus Falls, Minnesota, September 23, 1885. Dear Sir, I have been in the field every day since receiving the Chesapeake puppy. I received him at Crookston, September 2nd, took him immediately out of the box, fed him, and while sitting on the express office steps with a number of my friends, the puppy saw a piece of paper blowing along the road, and without a word went and got it, laid it down at my feet, and crawled up into my lap. I took him into my wagon and the same day carried him out in the country, 25 miles, returned in two days and took him out with me shooting mallards with a number of my friends who wanted to see more of him. And the first mallard I shot was in a small shallow pond of mud and water, not deep enough to allow him to swim. The puppy was at heel when the duck fell and I did not intend to send him for it alone, but without a word he started out felt his way timidly at first, reached the duck, which was a monster, took hold of its body first and tried hard to lift it out of the mud and water, but could not. Then he took hold of its wing and tried to carry it, but of course would step on it. He finally became discouraged, laid it down and commenced to cry. I at once waded out and helped him bring it in, and you never saw a prouder dog in all your life, or perhaps a prouder man. All this was done without a word of command and entirely at his own free will. I would not allow him to do or try to do much work, as he is too young, but he has never refused anything that I have asked, and I can only express my opinion of him by saying he is a dandy. Very intelligent, he is easy to control, and I now have only to point my finger at him to make him down, and on my third trial he would creep behind me on a sneak on ducks note by author this puppy was whelped may 31 1885 and was less than four months old at the writing of the above letter speaking of the courage of the chesapeake mr poinier says their pluck and courage is indomitable and the more incessant the shooting the more fierce and determined they are in their work and woe unto the dog gets too near them when they are after a duck Upon several occasions when shooting late in the season, I have tested their courage when everything was frozen up, 
but a few open holes in the deep lakes. These holes being kept open by the ducks congregating in such large numbers that the water could not freeze. The shooting at such a place can be imagined. Three and four guns would be kept warm. At such times I have seen one Chesapeake Bay dog do all the retrieving, and every time he brought a duck, he had to climb on the ice. Other dogs in the party got scared or froze out and could not be induced to go in. I never saw a Chesapeake refuse to go. It matters not how cold the weather might be. A stiff current with running ice or any obstruction is all the same to them. Quitting is not in their vocabulary. Irish water spaniels and other retrievers have been tried beside them on Chesapeake Bay and invariably have quit. From the above quotations, the reader may infer that the Chesapeake needs little or no training. While this is true to a certain extent, it is just as necessary to subject him to your will as if he were a setter or a pointer. My plan in handling the Chesapeake has been to make him my companion as much as possible. He will naturally take to retrieving as soon as he can run. Allow him to follow his inclination in this matter and indulge him on every possible occasion. Teach him to deliver in hand and thus avoid the possibility of losing winged birds after your dog has brought them to the boat or blind. By the time he is four or six months old, he will be doing all sorts of retrieving for you about the house. When four or six months old, if this period comes in the fall, take him to the shooting grounds. It is to be supposed that in his companionship with you, he has meantime learned to love the gun. Shoot your duck and see to it that you are on favorable rather than unfavorable ground for your puppy to see it fall. Go with him for the first one if he gives you time to do so. If the fall be a favorable one, the chances are you will have no occasion to go. From this time on, if you use judgment in your shooting for a few outings, you will have little or no trouble. It will be but a short time until you find you have only to look for ducks coming and your dog will look after those you knock down. And when he once goes at his work in this way, do not interfere with him by trying to make him come into the blind or get down in the boat out of sight. His coat and color provide for this, and he appears to be aware of the fact. I am a strong believer in natural instincts and insist that to have a dog do his work satisfactorily, he must do it for the love of the sport rather than because he is forced to do it. I have never yet seen a forced retriever that could be depended upon at all times. They are liable to become sulky at times, and when they do, the owner is liable to get in the same mood. Then the sport is over for that day, at least. Companionably handled, the chances are this trouble will be avoided. I would not be understood as saying that all that is necessary is to buy one of these puppies, grow him up to six months, Take him to the marsh, and you have a thorough retriever for ten years to come. Far from it. The first six months, it may be ten or twelve months of his life, are to be a continuous period of breaking and training. Not a breaking all jammed into one week or two, but continuous, little by little. And when the six or twelve months are past, you will be surprised to see how much your puppy will do for you and how little trouble he has been. In my opinion, dog breaking 
is a thing in which no stated rules can be followed. The most necessary thing is, first, fair material on which to work, and then lots of good, hard, common sense on the part of the trainer. A few words on breeding may be of interest. First of all, if you wish to be successful, do not attempt crossbreeding. By this I mean do not attempt to improve the breed of Chesapeake's by an infusion of other blood, such as setter, spaniel, etc. These experiments have already been made and with the worst possible results. For instance, on the Irish setter, result, a litter of all black puppies. On the English setter, result, a litter of all colors but the desired one. On the Irish and English spaniels, result, dark liver and black, the predominating colors as a rule, large ears and so rattle-headed that nothing could be done with them. A second cross on the half-breeds, no better results than the first. For my breeding stock, I always select from the litters with a view to producing the color desired. I make it a rule to breed a bitch inclined to white to a dog inclined to black, and vice versa. By this I mean a bitch that showed a lighter shade of color at the end of hairs than close to the skin, and a dog whose coat showed as dark or darker at ends than at the skin. I do not think it advisable to mate an extra light-colored bitch with an extra light-colored dog, or an extra dark bitch with an extra dark dog. The happy medium is what I always try to strike as to breeding stock. I have never failed to get good results as to color when these rules were observed. I have known litters thrown in other kennels that contained two and three cream-white puppies. I have known of dark livers and blacks. In all these cases, it was no fault of the breeding of either the sire or the dam, but simply the result of improper blending of colors, and color I consider one of the essential points of the Chesapeake. I have known the eyes to be decidedly off-color, both too light and too dark, from the same improper cause. Breeding Chesapeake's is just like breeding any other class of dogs. A deal of good, hard, common sense must be used to obtain the best results. To overcome a weak or objectionable feature, you must counterbalance it with the opposite feature, and it may take two or three or even more generations to eradicate it. These dogs are not early developers as to form, seldom coming into perfect form and coat under 18 months or two years. On this account, I would advise not breeding under this age. Another advantage to be gained by late breeding is you have time to have your dog fairly well broken, and then if he or she proves a successful sire or dam, you are so much the gainer. The bitch should have entire freedom from the time of service until the puppies are weaned. Chesapeake puppies, as a rule, are hardy and easily raised, there seldom being a frail one among them. At the age of three to five weeks, they should be separated into yards, with not more than two to the yard, as they are savage fighters and are liable to ruin one another. I have known nearly the entire litter to jump on one of their number and literally tear it to pieces. I may say here that if you are ever so fortunate as to own a Chesapeake dog, you will not be likely under any circumstances to be called upon to take his part in a fight, as he will be able to do that himself, unless beset by several big dogs at once. He will generally be found capable of taking care of himself in the field 
the marsh, on the road, or in a fight, and woe be to the man that attempts to chastise you or yours in his presence. In the writing of this article, I have tried to avoid anything that might confuse the reader, especially the controversial points in regard to the different types, and lest some may not clearly understand me on this subject, I beg to reaffirm that there is but one true type of Chesapeake Bay duck dog, and he has the thick, heavy, wavy coat. The future of the Chesapeake Bay dog is somewhat uncertain, and yet I can see no reason why, with the number of good specimens now distributed all over the North and West, this breed should not rapidly increase in numbers and in popularity, especially so since the willing rather than the forced retriever is becoming more and more the choice of sportsmen every day. Standard and Points of Judging the Chesapeake Bay Dog Value Head, including ears, lips, and eyes, 15. Stern, 4. Neck, 6. Symmetry and quality, 6. Shoulders and chest, 15. Coat and texture, 16. Back quarters and stiffles, 15. Color, 8. Legs, elbows, hocks, and feet, 15. Total, 100 points. Head, broad, running to nose, only a trifle pointed, but not at all sharp. Eyes of yellow color, ears small, placed well up on the head, face covered with very short hair. Neck, should only be moderately long and with a firm, strong appearance. Shoulders and chest, shoulders should have full liberty with plenty of show for power and no tendency to restriction of movement. Chest strong and deep, back quarters and stiffles. Should show fully as much, if not more, power than four quarters, and be capable of standing prolonged strains. Any tendency to weakness must be avoided. Ducking on the broad waters of the Chesapeake Bay involves, at times, facing a heavy tide and sea, and in cases of following wounded fowls, a dog is frequently subjected to a long swim. Legs, elbows, hocks, and feet. Legs should be short, showing both bone and muscle, with well-webbed feet of good size. Fore legs rather straight and symmetrical. It is to be understood that short legs do not convey the idea of dumpy formation. Elbows well let down and set straight for development of easy movement. Stern should be stout, somewhat long, the straighter the better, and showing only moderate feather. Symmetry and quality. The Chesapeake Bay dog should show a bright, lively, intelligent expression with general outlines good at all points. In fact, a dog worthy of notice in any company. Coat and texture. Short and thick, somewhat coarse, with tendency to wave over shoulders, back, and loins, where it is longest nowhere over one and a quarter to one and a half inches long, that on flanks, legs, and belly shorter, tapering to quite short near the feet. Under all this is a short woolly fur, which should well cover the skin and can readily be observed by pressing aside the outer coat. This coat preserves the dog from the effects of the wet and cold, 
and enables him to stand severe exposure. A shake or two throws off all water and is conducive to speed in swimming. Color. Nearly resembling wet sedge grass, though towards spring it becomes lighter by exposure to weather. A small white spot or frill on the breast is admissible. Color is important as the dog in most cases is apt to be outside the blind, consequently too dark is objectionable, the deep liver of the spaniel making much greater contrast. Therefore, it is to be avoided. The weight of dogs should be 60 to 70 pounds and bitches 45 to 55 pounds. The height should be about that of a medium-sized setter, but heavier in body and shorter in legs. The foregoing descriptive list and scale of points was drafted by a committee appointed by the American Kennel Club in the winter of 1884 and 85 for judging these dogs. While I do not agree with the committee in some few minor points, in general the list and scale are safe ones to follow. End of section 21. Reading by Tom Mack.